on this episode of the Alt Normal. Normal. Our old definitions of leadership was to like know the answer, to provide the answer. Whereas the new way of leadership is to create a space for the answer to be born, where, where you don't know what the answer is, but you will lead by bringing together the people, admit you're not knowing, and then encourage and support this group of people to play around in the mess. Another coronavirus vaccine has shown to be highly effective. Welcome to the Alt Normal, an exploration of the diverse voices on planet Earth. Joe Biden will become president of the United States. Doing the critical work of rebuilding a healthier, more sustainable alternative future. At the intersection of self, community, and the planet. We live in uncertain times. Powerful moment of revolution. How we choose to steer the path will determine what kind of alt-normal we consciously remake together. Everyone has a part to play. Let's rise. Shift and support this exciting new reality in the making. The alt-normal. Hi, I'm Tiffany Wen, the host of The Alt-Normal. This is a show that centers embodied integration as the absolutely critical force for rebuilding this post-pandemic world that's ever more sustainable, diverse, and inclusive. Culture needs a rebrand that goes deep at the core of who we are in the integration of our rich diversity, complexity, and emerging alternative paradigms. Let's be real. We are in a crisis of consciousness realizing that the only way to change things out there is to first change things in here. The power structures and institutions can only take us so far. To see a world that's diverse and inclusive for all actually requires us to change from the inside out, shifting into actionable models of power with one another versus power over one another. Now more than ever, we need a new story for humanity that leans into the diversity of who we are and our emerging zones of genius to live more truthfully in how we relate to ourselves, our community, and the planet. So let's pick up those forgotten pieces of ourselves to rebrand our story of humanity from one of separation to one of integration. We're talking integration of the mind with the body, the scientific with the spiritual, strategy with emergence, and the individual with the collective. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of Dig, Seed, Grow, a methodology that powers our core capabilities in branding and content creation. Our mission is to design resonance between brands and their most valuable audience to drive the greatest possible impact. After 20 plus years of working in New York City and Milan for Fortune 500 companies in marketing and advertising, we decided to take the big leap and make a fundamental shift in how we work and bring brand stories to life. The Alt Normal is recorded at Destination Outpost, a co-living and co-working community based out in Bali. They have amazing spaces located in Ubud and Chenggu that enable people to live and work from paradise. 
encouraging people to live differently so they can work from beautiful destinations and build strong connections with others on a similar path through life. So with that, I would love to introduce our guest today, Monsi Jane. So, so excited. Monsi unlocks a deeper connection with people to themselves, each other, and the systems they are a part of so they can become more conscious and inspiring leaders, build healthier communities, and create meaningful, sustainable impact. With over a decade of experience facilitating and coaching leaders, teams, and organizations across industries and geographies, Monsi's work highlights the importance of embodiment and the development of our inner self, so how we make sense of ourselves, others, and the world, in order to create lasting change. Monsi integrates modern research and ancient wisdom around psychological, spiritual, and systems development. She also draws on her background in consulting with McKinsey and Company, leading a large-scale organizational transformation from the ground up, teaching through Wharton's leadership program at the University of Pennsylvania, and her varied global experiences. She is a certified professional co-active coach, licensed through the International Coaching Federation, and has certifications with various tools, modalities, and institutions. Originally from India, Monsi grew up moving internationally and spent several years in England, Thailand, Singapore, and Indonesia. She now lives with her partner in California, where she fills her free time with nature, music, adventure, play, and her own inner work. At her core, Monsi is guided by a purpose to co-create a world where we continually choose love over fear. Monsi, what a joy to have you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you. It is a honor and privilege to be here with you. Thank you for inviting me. So I am just so like tickled is the word by how much (laughs) overlap there is between the different disciplines and passions that you weave through your work, which really resonate with what we're trying to explore on the show, what we want to explore on the show. And um, I would love to start our conversation off by reading a little excerpt from this article that you wrote, I think, three months ago. And it was called, How Do I Contribute to the World Amidst Increasing Uncertainty? So I love questions. And I think that question was so relevant in 2020, but even in 2021, it's still relevant. And I think it's going to continue in its um, tangibility and its um, potency. So I just want to quote something that you said. You write, um, in my own ongoing wrestling with these questions, the clearest answer I've found is that there is no clear path forward and that my desire for certainty is what holds me back from effectively contributing to the world. We must learn to get comfortable with uncertainty, know how to work with it rather than against it. We must do this not only at an intellectual level, meaning I know about it, but at an embodied level, so I experience it. The latter requires engaging courageously in active reflection and ongoing practice. Whew. 
so, so eloquent. And I would love to hear from you, Monsi, just like speaking really broadly about culture and just how you see it playing out from where you sit. Do you feel like the leaders or the humans of today are balanced in their practice of the intellectual with the embodied practice? Like, how do you see that just broadly speaking from where you sit? Oh my gosh. I feel like you just took me on a journey. (laughs) And it's, uh, I feel tickled in just um, you reading back those words to me. Um, Because, you know, I mentioned in that word ongoing practice and, and, and it just is a reminder for just even now, I'm still in the throes of navigating uncertainty And, you know, you kind of reminded me of this truth. Um, So there's just some, there's something really beautiful in you just sharing that. So thank you for that. Um, To your question, the quick answer is, um, I don't, I don't see people that are balanced. Um, I struggle to be balanced myself. (laughs) We, we, we're so conditioned to uh, engage through our mind, through our cognitive abilities, through our intellects. And I'm, I'm a product of that. And, um, and even in my profession um, of helping people change and transform, I see how there are so many people who go through it in a very intellectual way. And there's a lot of benefit in that. Like there's, there's a lot, we, we get far with that. Um, however, I've seen firsthand both in myself and in the people that I work with, how that falls short because we our, our minds are, are further ahead than our embodied experience and, and that creates an internal tension. Um, and I've found that when we can experience something, uh, the felt sense of it, there's more, there's a, it lasts longer. It's more profound. Our body remembers it. Yeah. It's, um, I love the way you wove in also just your own experience of, dancing between the intellectual and the embodied practice because that's why it's called a practice, right? It's not like we get it once and it sticks forever and hallelujah, we're free. I mean, we can choose that and we can become better and exercise that muscle of integration. And as you say, I love that you also call out that there there is a beautiful place for the mind to activate um, power and action, right? So it's it's really interesting because in this article you 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 weave through many traditions and many different sort of theories and areas of study and uh you 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 name like complexity theory, adaptive leadership and wisdom traditions and just given your background also as um a global citizen. You know, I'm very curious about why you chose to weave these together and how that's really served you in 
being able to come forth and talk about and language um, leadership in this way. And so just on a personal level, can you tell us about how you came to integrate these different modalities in your life and how you then show up for the clients and the other people that you work with? (laughs) You ask good questions. I guess like there's a way in which, you know, and I I think we've talked about this before, um, at the risk of creating too much simplicity because there is such nuance and complexity in all of these modalities and traditions, there is a way in which as I've studied them, there's like a thread or a continuity of truth that is in all of them. Um, Which is why it feels like they merge together, at least in my experience of it. And, you know, to, to think about your question, I guess, I guess I'm coming back to this word practice. You know, I'm still a student of all of this. And in some ways that is also the teachings of all these three um, disciplines. I mean, wisdom traditions is a very massive one, but, you know, but, but to be a, a continual learner is something that all three really teach. And so, yeah, it's hard for me to answer that. And you mentioned like wisdom traditions is a, I mean, that's massive, right? It's the whole universe in and of itself. And something that I've explored on past episodes, you know, is how when you choose some kind of practice or discipline that really feeds you on the mind-body level holistically, that can be such a gateway to other possibilities, other paradigms, other ways of thinking outside of your normal thinking patterns, outside of your normal constructs. And so, yeah, maybe we can just focus on that word practice for a moment. And of the ones that you've studied or you've practiced, which one maybe in your present moment really speaks to you and that really allows you to, I guess, ground in consistency so that you can be able to build from that foundation and explore other paradigms or models of inner authority or leadership? Yeah. I mean, one, one of the, perhaps like a, like I'm, I'm reminded, and this is one of the mantras that I, I tell myself often is um, grateful childlike wonder, um, which I think, you know, and it's hard for me to pick one specific discipline, but I feel like that that is embodied in these various teachings that we speak about. Um, and so that is a practice that feels like a deep foundation for me to come back to the spirit of gratitude, a spirit of play, and a spirit of curiosity and wonder um, towards what I'm studying, towards my own direct experience, towards um, the world around me. 
And, and that feels like the bedrock from which I learn as well. Um, because, you know, at least in my experience, sometimes as I, as I moved into this world, I felt overwhelmed by the ocean of wisdom and learning and, and just voices that are in this world and, and how it feels never ending. And so that, um, that foundation has helped me stay grounded as I've continued through it. It's not a bad problem to have when you're constantly in wonder, right? And you're constantly just opening doors into more doors into more doors. And I mean, that practice is lifelong. And as you said, claiming to be a student allows you to be a good teacher because that means you are in constant curiosity and you're doing your work in order to show up and help others do theirs. And um, I do want to dial into something you just shared, which was when you entered this path. And so um, in your bio, you know, you you share that you came from the world of McKinsey, um, you know, which is this multinational firm, right, um, with this big mission to transform organizations, to borrow their words, build enduring capacities, and ultimately create change that matters. Big mission, big aspiration. And I would love to hear you share why you decided to make that big leap from a firm like that to your own practice of cultivating inner leadership and helping others do that. That would be a great place to explore <laughs> whatever you would like to share about that. Yeah, it feels related to the first question that you asked me in that even before I was at McKinsey and I studied business, I was in kind of the high achieving world <laughs> and, and I still consider myself high achieving. Um, there was a way in which I felt like the way the systems that I was a part of define success and how the people around me were motivated and how I was being kind of, how I was being in these systems was felt out of place from my inner child, I guess. Like there was a way in which I believed that success was more about connection and growth and time spent in nature and stillness and play and contribution uh, that really touches people's lives. And it was interesting because, you know, as I was in that period of just feeling this dissonance, my reaction was to see myself as being overly naive and idealistic. But ultimately it was this embodied sense of like emptiness, of like a loss of energy, of vitality that pointed me in the direction to follow a call to something else. And by all means, I mean, I was very happy in many ways and very, I enjoyed what I was doing, enjoyed the people that I was working with. I had wonderful friendships, but there was a, yeah, there was an emptiness inside, both in terms of my work, but also in terms of like the way of living, the way of being in the world how we spend our free time, 
<laughs> what we value. And at the time, I had no idea about this world. Um, I never knew that there was a profession <laughs> like the one that I'm doing. Um, it was more a call to be in nature. And so I spent a year, a little over a year, traveling alone primarily through nature, which is um, which was such a shift from a person that you know had lived their life going and doing and um, achieving to, to just be by myself. And in that place, I, I just came to know a part of existence that I just never really knew, which was just beautiful and awe-inspiring. And it felt like the lofty things that I was driven by um, felt like they could be a reality or the fact that, Hey, the, what, what brought me alive and what I cared about. And whenever people asked me what I wanted to do, it was like, well, I just care about having meaningful conversations with people talking about important things <laughs> in their lives. What, what, breaks, what makes them come alive and how to do more of that. I was able to kind of stand in wanting to make my life about that without having any sense of what it looked like. And then, you know, once that came, then it was just a matter of figuring out how. And that ultimately led me to this path. So serene. <laughs> it's like the story of, I mean, it's, it's same, same, different, right? But it's the story of, you know, all these seekers, from these wisdom traditions that feel like there's always something missing or there's something else that's there and they take this big leap to find whatever that is. They don't necessarily have this endpoint. It's more just an internal directive that continues to put you on this path and in the trust that you'll find some kind of meaning or a greater purpose from it. Yeah. And um and it continues. <laughs> like it was like, like I, I was like, great, I'm, I'm on this path, and I came back from traveling, and I did it all, and and then it's another cycle of of still, you know, returning to emptiness, returning to those moments at times, and 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 then deepening again, following the call again, and I going back to this like foundation of being a student it's easy to be like oh man I got here <laughs> like I'm here I'm done um but I am seeing how it's you know it's it's a lifetime of deepening and unfolding with its breakdowns mm, and it's so beautiful because I think what you're really extracting here is the at least one of the meanings of integration. It's to have this transformational experience, whether you choose to name it that or not, but something has shifted fundamentally in how you experience reality and how you feel in the world. And then it's a practice of taking that knowing, that truth, that unnameable thing, and then integrating it into reality and into a new way of being 
And from being then comes the thinking and the doing and all the other creations. And I would love to ask you, you know, you've obviously arrived at a place in your life where you are showing up for people, for leaders on all sorts of levels. And you have been able to do that because you have been and continue to be developing that cap capacity within yourself, coming back to that student foundational sort of experience. And I would love to know, you know, about this craft of yours. And when people come to you to work with you, what are the questions that they're asking and they're bringing into conversation with you? What are the these big, yeah, sort of buckets of life that they are grappling with. Can you just give us a picture of that? Yeah, it varies um, kind of at the individual level and at the group level. So with individuals, they might be experiencing like a crisis, whether it's in their internal lives, their interior or in their external. So it could be um, feeling discontent in their work, wanting more meaning, wanting more fulfillment. It could be um, a transition to a way of leading that is new for them, whether it's a significantly larger responsibility, whether it's um, kind of a, a requiring them to work in an agile way, for example, when they're not familiar with that. Um, and it could also be like more developmental. Like, you know, I, I get really reactive or I get really angry or I'm really controlling and I'm seeing the ways in which it's limiting me in my work. Most of the people I would say that I work with, um, there's more of a sense of like wanting to come alive. Um, and it's less, it's, it's more like, okay, I'm, I'm in a great place. I feel like I'm good in what I'm doing. I feel strong, but there's uh, there's secrets, I guess, to use what we were saying earlier. Um, or they're kind of wanting to get from A to B, and their ways and strategies of getting to A to B aren't working as well. And where B is perhaps a greater expression of their creative potential. And then with groups, um, you know, there's different lenses of that too. You know, I'll work with teams who want to um, work more effectively with each other. So that could be leadership teams that are coming together for the first time where there's been a change of leadership or there's, um, there's low levels of trust within the team and there's dysfunction and that's creating work or stress or uh, limiting performance and the achievement of goals. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's broader organizational or cultural elements that people might bring me into like, okay, we're trying to like transform our organization. Like, how do we do that in a way that brings people along? How do we activate people? Um, how do we do it in a way that isn't top down, but rather includes the whole system in the process? So it, it it kind of scales. Woof. Where to go from here? Well, I um 
I wanna I wanna probe and explore this more, but perhaps I can bring a bit of a lens in. So okay, this kind of integrates your mission, which is to help um yeah, to help guide um others and leaders to choose love over fear. And as I was thinking about this conversation with you, um, I was thinking also of this word consciousness and in combination with the word capitalism. So um, the CEO of Whole Foods, John Mackey, he wrote the book Conscious Capitalism, which is also a movement, right? And it supports this global community of business leaders dedicated to elevating humanity through business as a tool. He really believes in this. Um, and in this movement, they kind of lay the four tenets of what helps um, this concept to be self-actualized into reality. And this tenet of conscious leadership is one of them. And uh, John Mackey and this community defines conscious leaders as those who understand and embrace higher purpose of business and focus on creating value for and harmonizing the interests of all the business stakeholders. And we're seeing this rhetoric over and over and over again. And it's it's really interesting that it's come so alive, especially in this past year, 2020. And I'm sure for this year and many more years to come. And, you know, also I want to bring in, you know, even the, the rhetoric of Marianne Williamson when she was running for president, <laughs> she ran on the platform of love. She brought love into politics, right? So love in politics, consciousness and cap consciousness and capitalism, that's a whole new mix. And it's a whole new field that, I feel like more people are resonating with, more people are coming together around. And I just want to open this container of love and or consciousness and um, and ask you, you know, what role do you see love playing in cultivating leadership at these levels that you've described um, in realms where we don't typically really go there with the L word. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to dive into the space. I'm fascinated. What role do you see that playing? Well, um, firstly, I, I think I want to say that it's a really exciting time for business and for politics. Like, yes, it's also filled with a lot of pain and frustration and change is slow. <laughs> I feel that a lot working in these environments, but I, I'm seeing the tides shifting, particularly as you know, millennials and younger generations move more into the workforce. Because I I see how we are stewards of love, of consciousness, and so I, I have a lot of hope in the role that it can play. And that's, that's what keeps me moving <laughs> is, is seeing that there's this, there's this tide, there's this wave. Yeah. The, the question that you're asking, it's an, it's a very open one. I'm thinking about how to even, where to start <laughs> in terms of what role it plays. Um, 
at a very, you know, I feel like I want to start at the individual level, which is the distinction between our reactive place and our more creative place. Or sometimes as we, there's a, there's a really wonderful video by the Conscious Leadership Group based out of the UK. Um, it's like a three minute video. It's called, Where Am I? And it basically talks about how in any moment we can be below the line or above the line. Have you, have you seen that? No, but I'm adding it to my list and maybe we'll also include it in the show notes so people can follow up and, you know, become more resourced in this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a very simple way highlighting this distinction of being like above the line or below or below the line or reactive or creative or in the terms that we're using, fear-based versus love-based. And so often we humans are operating from a place of fear, of protection, because, and if these aren't binary things, right? They like happen in, in spectrums and in scales, but you know, our sense of safety uh, in our ego is being threatened. Something that we care about might not go the way in which we want, or someone's, or we compare ourselves to someone else, or, you know, there's just countless ways throughout the day when we feel scared and we, we protect because our sense of control or safety or approval is threatened. And, you know, there's, there's ways to think about this at a biological level in terms of our amygdala have kind of evolved such that when we perceive danger to our egos, <laughs> we have the same physical reaction of fight, flight, freeze. But when we do that, you know, we, we, it, it, it tends to create ways of leading and ways of relating in the workplace that are closed and that limit creativity and collaboration and trust and belonging and um, innovation. And so while there is, you know, while being reactive isn't wrong, you know, there's, there's gift and there's richness in that place. There's an opportunity for us to step more into a place of love and all the various manifestations of it. Courage, compassion, blanking on creativity. I mean, there, there's just so many various ways in which love manifests that isn't just love in the way in which we traditionally know it that becomes available to us. And so that seeing the ways in which we are reactive as leaders, and I'm using leaders not as like, okay, I'm like being an executive. I mean, that could be the case, but also, you know, anyone in the workplace is a leader. But seeing the way in which we are reactive, seeing what triggers us and working in those moments to make a conscious choice to shift, which is, you know, that's a big practice. You know, and it's an ongoing practice. When we do that at the individual level and we support that with our structures, that's how I see love spreading in the business world. Wow. I mean, as you were saying that, you know, um, I also teach yoga and I, I really love to play with what does yoga look like off the mat? Because we know what yoga can look like, or at least one aspect of it looks like on the mat, asanas, physical practice, movement. 
But then off the mat, that state of being that you had when you were being mindful in your body and in your movements, how could that translate into a conversation in the workplace? How could that translate in a meeting with people that you perceive to be higher up on the ladder than you, yet how can you bring that sense of courage and love and all these expressions that you've just named into that experience, right? I mean, and it's like, again, integrating the wisdom traditions into modern day interaction and experience. And that's so interesting. So you talked, you talked about the individual level. What could, right, this expression of love in all of its iterations look like at the group organizational level when organization X comes to you and they want to do some kind of shift as an organization and have a bigger transformation. What could that look like or what have you seen in your experience? Yeah, gosh. Um, It's interesting because there are fields in this that like I don't work in. So um, for example, I, I don't spend a lot of time in organizational design but I'm imagining that an organizational design expert could also give you a very rich answer to this question. So I I guess I'll answer in a way that doesn't even capture the whole range of the fullness of your question. It's a, you know, you mentioned it when you were describing this podcast of, um, it was interesting because I was thinking about this as you were talking. I think you mentioned that we used a few different words, but one of them was moving towards integration rather than separation. And there were some other, there were two other binaries that you mentioned. Can you remind me what they were? Oh, the binaries. Forget it. Oh, goodness. Oh, pow- power power with, with one another, power within versus power over. Um, I'm just drawing on different references from different types of people. And I also feel like they're all just saying the same thing, but just different expressions, same song, different tune. But we can, yeah, the whole moving from separation to integration is very much informed by Charles Einstein's work. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but um, it's just so simple and so to the point that I love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, so to answer your question, you know, I think I can, I can maybe talk about it in a few different ways. One is there is a tone that is being set from the top because currently most of our organizations are not completely decentralized or, you know, completely self-governing. So there's a role that leaders play in organizations. So there is um, going back to conscious capitalism, right? Conscious leaders. There is a way in which they are living and role modeling and spreading a, this ethos of love. And from that place and with the organization or with the ecosystem, there is a culture that is being created of trust, authenticity, care, um, learning, uh, empowerment. That is, uh, yeah, that is um, that is moving in the direction of being self-organizing, um, where organizations are shifting from like hierarchies 
to human-centered teams of teams that are rooted in a deep sense of purpose. Yeah. Even the language that you bring to it is, it has a different quality or flavor to it that feels more human in general. And all these qualities that you're describing too, they, they make me feel that sort of feminine power, if you will, coming through. And it's, it's really timely because um, the other day I saw this article come through um, by the Harvard Business Review, and it was titled, Women Are Better Leaders During Crisis. <laughs> it's one source, but still, of course, for obvious reasons, I was drawn to open that and read it. And it showed that women scored higher for, I think, 19 different competencies when looking at this sample size of 60,000 different women. And interpersonal skills, so, you know, those were given more weight. And so some examples of those are, you know, quote, inspires and motivates, uh, communicates powerfully, um, collaboration and teamwork, um, relationship building, and that female leaders expressed more awareness of fears that followers might have been feeling, uh, concern for well-being, and confidence in their plans. And this was to describe 2020, but I think the same holds true even for now. Um, and, you know, since since you are a woman and, you know, you have this multicultural background, um, and I don't want to assume that you identify as this, but for, in my eyes, you are a woman of color, you are a leader, and um, you can also, you know, claim, you know, however you choose to identify yourself, but it's, you know, it, it excites me to be in the presence of someone who is cultivating her inner leadership, especially during these times and using this language to help others um, develop their own competencies in embracing this new kind of leadership where love can come through and love in all of its different flavors. And again, more broadly, just to open this sort of intersectionality up, you know, in this past year, um, how have you seen women, especially women of color, emerging as leaders of our time. You can talk from personal experience. You can talk about people that you've worked with or that you've witnessed and watched and learned from. But we'd just love to hear on a cultural level, what's that, what's that been like? I felt deeply inspired by feminine energy at a broad level and seeing how in crisis like that, that is what is needed and helpful. And I've seen and been inspired by so many women who really exude that, but in a way that's in integrated with their masculine, like they, they show the, the whole. Thinking of a client that I have who just <laughs> like, um, she works at a nonprofit and uh, just the way in which she during this crisis has been 
a voice of um, humility, a voice of empathy, and has um, really guided a very distraught team by being vulnerable and like and finding the strength that's in vulnerability and and not shying away from it. She like lost her childcare, <laughs> like you know, just you know, was just really struggling herself, which is part of why we were working together. But when we we did a like a feedback survey, and it was it was just so moving to see how almost because of that, um, and because of her realness, she was such a source of strength to the people that she leads. I I can feel that, and I'm also very curious, you know whether it's through her example and how she actually expressed that vulnerability or just how can a leader, right, where we can talk about, you know, the way we traditionally think about a leader, like an executive, or just a human being in their sovereign power and being a leader of themselves and those around them, what could it look like? Um, and and especially in 2020, what 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 did it look like to be truly vulnerable in a professional setting, you know, where people might tend to kind of hold back um, in fear of, oh, that's too much or, oh, that's inappropriate. That's that's not allowed for me to bring my personal into the professional. Can you give us an example or color this a little bit? for those of us who don't really have windows into that world? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a courageous act to be vulnerable, deeply courageous. I've seen time and time again that when we are, it just the intimacy that's there in a space deepens. And I can give examples. I mean, I'm wondering whether maybe, I don't know if it's helpful to just maybe even role model it. Because <laughs> um, you know, I've done this with my clients and my colleagues where you know, it's a slightly different environment, but, but I still work with a lot of executives. And even in our conversation before this started, I shared like, I've been in a funk. I was, um, or earlier we, um, I was working with, with a corporation and I spoke about how uh, despair had been an emotion that I deeply got to know this year. And, um, and like I shared what that experience was like for me. I guess, you know, as, as I'm thinking about this and, you know, sitting in your question, there's something around like how to create a space that allows for vulnerability and then also our presence. I guess, I guess I'm making the distinction and this is maybe, this may be true specifically for like executives or leaders where like, if my vulnerability is one where I am being highly reactive and triggered, <laughs> that is the way that I'm showing, like it's, it's, it's going to be the impact of that is, um, can be felt in the organization. And so when, when I talk, when I might suggest that a leader leader of an organization be vulnerable it's okay can you name what you are feeling 
without necessarily being caught in that feeling or fully blended with that experience as you were speaking about it. And it's not to say as if it's kind of this like abstract thing, because, you know, for example, in this notion of me sharing about despair, I was, I was feeling the despair as I was sharing it, but I wasn't completely associated with it. And so there's something around that, the presence that we that is important. Um, and then in terms of the environment, um, I can understand how if a team is coming together with a particular objective and time is scarce, it's hard for someone to be vulnerable. Like I get that. And so, you know, can there be leadership on their part to say, why don't we do a check-in at the beginning of our next meeting just to see how people are doing and share, hey, what's up for us? What's alive for us right now? And I've seen that sometimes having those containers makes it just easier to be vulnerable to enter that space. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely perfect. And I mean, it's I've been in many spaces like that, not professionally, but I've been in many spaces like that when I show up to do my own inner work. I've had those experience in conscious community, spiritual community, friend community, but I've never actually touched it in a professional community quite like the one you're describing. And I really, I feel drawn to that because now I think, wow, much like what John Mackey's talking about in conscious capitalism, do business leaders of today who assumingly are well-resourced in terms of um, financial and monetary, but also can they provide that space for this emotional holding amongst professional colleagues? Um, and I mean, maybe this has been around for longer, but it just feels like that uh, separation between the personal and professional is dissolving, is softening um, for the better in many ways, for the better in many ways. And, you know, talking about containers like this, I want to shift into this community that you and I are a part of called Rising Practitioners. And I'm new to this community. I joined a couple months back um, for very deep personal reasons. I really wanted to find a community that could create spaces like the one you're talking about. And um, for those of you who don't know, Rising Practitioners is a community and network of transformational facilitators, coaches, mediators, consultants, and trainers with the bulk of our career still ahead of us, in their words. Um, and, you know, I just, before coming onto this podcast, I had the privilege of being on a call with a few folks from that community. Um, and it's just a community of deep seekers and learners that are constantly evolving themselves in so many ways. And, you know, you've been a part of this community. And recently I saw that you offered also a conversation or exploration of how to bridge um, the racialized racialized divide. And um, that's one example, I'm sure, of ways in which you've become involved and participated in this community. And I, I wanted to shift into this because I want to know from you how, 
why did you join this community and how has it impacted your own work and capacity to, I guess, explore your own growth edges so that you can show up more fully in the world in your work and service? Especially when I think this can be true even for people who are within working within organizations, but certainly for people like me and probably you who are working more independently. There's something around a space where I can be seen and see others. I just, you know, even as I'm saying that, I just, there's a way in which I feel held. And those sort of spaces were hard to find for me because the way, the depth of seeing that I longed for is hard to find in our kind of modern society. And so as I entered this world, I felt like there were more of those communities. Um, but what really struck to me about this one in particular was just how much we share in kind of uh, the work that we are doing, the difference that we want to make in the world, which is our shared experience of just, you know, having the bulk of our careers ahead of us. Like there's a way in which there's a resonance that isn't there in a lot of my other professional circles where there might still be this depth of seeing, but most of my other colleagues are significantly older than I am. So there's a, there's like a, a familial feeling that's really beautiful. And from that foundation of community, I feel like I can be challenged in ways that, um, that, yeah, that bring out my best. Like I, they, they, I'm, I, in this community, I started a process of a mastermind, the mastermind that I'm a part of. We've been together for a year and a half or more meeting very regularly. And the way in which my mastermind fellow masterminders hold up a mirror to me and the way in which they inquire into my experience and help me inquire into my own is so rich that it helps expand my awareness and my experience of myself as a human and as a practitioner. That's, uh, that's amazing. I didn't realize you held this mastermind. That's, uh, I, you know, it, it really makes me think of this word practitioner, right? practice, practitioner, embodying, being. It's like we're a culture that has become so overdeveloped intellectually in the thinking mind, which has its place and it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Yet, I think we're slowly arriving at the party of, wait, how do we fully embody who we really are in our truth and be seen in that with others that are doing that work too. And it just seems pretty revolutionary to me that these spaces are popping up and they have resonance with people. Yeah. And, and I guess maybe one thing to add is like, that feels like it's at the very core of the work that I'm doing in organizations is like, how, how do we create these ways build the capacity in people to show themselves 
their full selves and to see each other as full people. And so oftentimes, like, you know, you need to kind of invite them into that space where you can hold it, bring them into it over time so that then it's a structure that they can rest on. But I guess what I'm saying by that is, yes, these spaces are really rich in the worlds that you and I are in. Um, And that's what I'm seeing more and more of in the business world. And I'm excited to bring more of into the business world. It sounds like the way you're describing it, it's kind of the beginning of a new story of how embodied practice can take a home in the organizational and business realm, not just for a one-off retreat or offsite or, you know, top of the week meeting, but really live and breathe in the moment to moment. Of course, that's always a practice in and of itself, but yeah, from what it sounds like, this is new, right? This is this is this isn't like something that's been around for eons and it's it's not really taught in business school. It seems like this is something that's happening now. <laughs> Am I right? Definitely was not taught when I was in business school. Um, but it's it's funny how much more it's being taught in today's business schools. I guess I would say it's more in the mass than it was before, you know. Uh, There are examples of organizations and my colleagues who have been doing this work for decades are a testament to how this has existed, but you're, you're totally, I think you're onto something in, in the fact that the wave is the strength and the power of it feels new. And that, I, I guess it's important to know that because going back to, you know, what I was saying earlier, it takes courage to bring this into that world and it can feel lonely and there's a broader shifting that's happening that I guess, you know, to the, whoever might be listening to this, I would want to know, I, w- I would want them to know so that there's less risk, less reason to worry about taking that step of being, showing themselves more fully. Yeah. Just, just to round that out. Um, Last week, we had a guest who he used to be a classroom teacher, um, and now he teaches authentic relating, um, originally from New York, now in Bali. And we talked a lot about vulnerability in leadership and how to balance this duality of I'm a leader in this organization, therefore I need to kind of know what I'm doing and what I'm talking about, and I can't really show my weaknesses because I'm steering the ship. And maybe I don't have all the answers all the time. Maybe this world that we're living in has actually always been quite uncertain and volatile and complex. And humans are complex. Not to even mention big groups of humans in their diversity and their complexity and their different perspectives and ways of showing up during a time of crisis. That's also a lot to manage And so as a leader who wants to be vulnerable, but also wants to be in a position of authority, how might that leader lean in and exist in that space while still feeling empowered? That's the question that I feel like is very rich because 
even naming it makes me feel very curious and alive. Just curious how that lands with you and what comes to mind when I just raise that question. And has that been raised by a leader before? Being able to language the nuance of why that can be hard or scary or whatever adjective feels appropriate. Yeah. What it's reminding me of is the shift to being an adaptive leader. It's it's kind of a um, the way in which we think about what it means to lead is is getting turned around. Where kind of our old definitions of leadership was to like know the answer, to provide the answer, whereas the new way of leadership is to create a space for the answer to be born where where you don't know what the answer is but you will lead by bringing together the people admit you're not knowing and then um encourage and support this group of people to play around in the mess and your role as a leader is going to be to move into the edges and create conflict where conflict is needed to deepen in your sense of the path forward or what is needed. Yes. That feels like a much more interesting space to be in because it feels more authentic. And to build on the momentum of what you were saying, I just did a quick search, you know, what is leadership going to look like in 2021? Who's forecasting this? What are they saying based on trends? You know, these are all just trends, but right. It's also interesting to see what the media is saying about all this. And, you know, Forbes and Time, you know, they've written about what's it going to look like in 2021. And just to name some words that I saw in both, you know, authenticity, vulnerability, empathy, emotional agility. So aligning the intent with the impact for like the clearest possible communication, um, anti-racism, and resiliency are sort of all core to this vision of what leadership can and might look like in this upcoming year. And you touched on some of these qualities. So, you know, in your sort of envisioning of 2021, as it's just begun, what will it feel like to be a conscious leader? I... um... I'm hesitating to say this, but I'll just say what's in my heart. I think it'll be scary. I think that it will be challenging. I think that it will be ambiguous and uncertain and challenging. I think I already said that. (laughs) Because it's not like something just changed when January 1st rolled around, the issues that 2020 opened up to us are still here and they're not going away. So I guess that's why I'm saying that. But what I also see is that when we bring these qualities of authenticity and empathy and agility and emotional awareness, Courage, I think that's another word that's really important here. There will be a way in which we like see magic around us and ways in which we see richness and color as we see like 
both the extreme depth of our own unfolding, but also see the infinite possibility that's there in this time of great uncertainty. And so I, I, I see it as being one of like heartache and challenge, but also one of like deep hope and creativity and possibility and connection and meaning and beauty. And almost all of those things, because it will also be challenging. Like, I, you know, I, I imagine that, you know, we will, by, by stepping into that role, we can expand our sense of being to include all of the muck that we're feeling and feel stronger because of it. No, that's, it's beautiful, that spectrum that you've laid out. And I'm glad that you started with the, the scary answer, which was scary. <laughs> um, that's not a word that we as humans, I think, like to admit, maybe out loud in public, maybe in our journals or in the closest circles that we have around us. And with that in mind, as a thought experiment, if you could work with any human or organization this year, who or what would that be? And what tangible resource or practice or question or exploratory, exploratory exercise would you want to gift this person or organization at whatever stage they are with being a conscious leader? I have more than one answer. <laughs> okay. Um, and these aren't specific organizations or specific names, but perhaps more like archetypes. I would want to work with the people in our society who are very deep in their beliefs, whether they're liberals or conservatives or white people who are skeptical and uh, scared of what's happening in our conversations around race or whether it's our BIPOC leaders who are scared of what's happening with the other populations. I'd want to work with them and specifically the ones that are deeply entrenched in their beliefs and almost like have them listen deeply to each other to see the humanity that is there behind the kind of the monsters <laughs> that they see in each other. And, you know, there's various ways in which I would do that. But I, my heart just hurts so much by the divisiveness in this country, a product of a lack of listening. You know, there's, there's other stuff there. There's real truths and there's real traumas that need to be healed. And there's much more work that needs to be done and important policies and actions and everything to be taken. But where I want to work is in developing our capacity to listen, to be able to hold the space for someone's anger and rage, to be able to listen to someone who we don't agree with and still see their truth 
And, you know, the other way that I would, it's the same thing, but at another level, I would dream to bring together the diversity of stakeholders that are needed in order to address our climate crisis and to address our systems of inequality, be it business leaders, um, people in government, um, activists, artists, children, the marginalized, um, and have them listen to each other. Because I believe that not only in doing so, there will be a web of connection that is created that creates a resiliency to be able to move forward to address these really big, difficult, seemingly impossible challenges of our time. And that without that foundation, I don't know if it'll happen. (sighs) Just letting your words sink in. It's when you when you speak about it like this, I can see and I can feel really um, this being a healing tool. I mean, at all levels in all realms of life. I mean, I can see that being a family having a conversation together and healing an old family wound. I can see that happening at an organizational level where people can actually start to feel like it's safe to be themselves. I can see this happening between couples, between parents and children, in schools, literally in all groups. I can't think of one group where this couldn't actually be applicable. (laughs) Can you? (laughs) Yeah. Um, when when we first spoke, um, you asked me some question. I'm, I'm forgetting what the question was, but I remember that my answer, something around like what I believe is most important in this world is kind of the nature of what we were talking about. And I really believe it's listening. Like it is building our capacity to listen without judgment, with deep presence to each other. And not just listen with our ears, listen with our, with our whole beings, with our hearts. And, and then, you know, in addition to that, listen, listen to ourselves, listen to the earth, listen to the communities and the systems we're a part of. It does feel like an emerging capacity that wants to come through. And to move away from the perception of what we think of as listening and embody holistic listening, whatever we want to call it. (laughs) Activate all of those like sensory receptors. We have tens of thousands of them. And I think we're, we've only sort of skimmed the surface. And so much there, Monsi, so much there. I... I feel like some kind of embodied listening workshop is probably on the horizon, and I would love to sign up for that because I would like to develop myself in that capacity. And I do feel like listening is also a form of connection. I mean, it is the greatest form of connection. That's how we see another and be with another. If we think about like the moments when we felt deeply connected, to another person or even to an experience 
or to nature. We're kind of, it's in a way where we're, we're present to it. We're open to it. And that's what I mean by listening. And with this big vision of, of listening in mind, I'd like to close this conversation and ask you to envision this, this conscious leader. And if you could share a message or a question that the conscious leaders that are listening in can reflect on beyond this conversation, what, what would you like to share? Such a beautiful question. Um, I want to tell them and ask them a few things. I want to tell them that their their own sense of their own centeredness and their own space, sense of spaciousness, whatever it is for them, is the most important thing to cultivate. And I'm not saying that in like a must always be centered, <laughs> but more in like a you know, their own development and their own process and their own soul and heart and body is, I want to tell them to not sacrifice that and follow that by asking, what would it take for them to design a life that allowed them to listen to the call of their soul that would have them feel vital and alive. And I would ask them, how could they design it in a way that they could do it tomorrow? Not in like a, oh, I'm going to quit my job and go travel the world. And, you know, those things could also be true. And that might be a a great inquiry, but I'd be really curious. What can can they do tomorrow? Because I think that that's where, that's where the real work is. (laughs) couldn't have said it better myself. It comes back to integration. How might you already resource what's already there in the being that you already are and just go for it? Like what's holding you back? Just try it. And I actually think I read, going back to the earlier article that you wrote that I referenced at the beginning, it's designing safe-to-fail experiments. I don't know if this is applicable here, but just being okay with whatever happens and not being attached to the outcome, acting anyways. I am thinking about the poem by David White, Start Close In. And there's a, there's a phrase in it, which is start close in. Don't take the second step or the third. Start with the first thing close in, the step you don't want to take. And then there's, you know, much more to it that I would recommend feeling into and, and reading. Well, that and more, Monsi. That and more. And it's just such a pleasure to talk to you. It's, I almost feel like I'm in a meditation as I speak to you. And you're very thoughtful about your words. And I really appreciate that. And I appreciate that you are embodying the courage that you also wish to see in the conscious leaders of our times. And I want to thank you for this conversation. I also want 
our listeners to know how they can find you and connect with you if they so choose to continue to learn and evolve with your offerings. So would you like to share with us how we can find you and your work in the future? Yeah, yeah. Um, They can go to my website, www.monsijane.co or email me at mj at monsijane.co. Yeah, I would love to be in conversation with anyone that's interested. Thank you so much, Tiffany, for this space and for just your curiosity and openness and playfulness. There was a way in which I was thinking, you know, imagining me on your side (laughs) of, of the mic. And there's a deep respect I have for you of just like this very generative way of being with another person. Like, it's almost like you, there's no way in which you're controlling the conversation. You're just letting it emerge. That's a, it's a real gift. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. I, I really just flow and I, I, I'm trusting in that space where I can just receive the answers easily. Um, and that couldn't happen without you and without all these honestly spectacular humans that I feel so privileged to be in conversation with. And yeah, hopefully we can do this again soon. And I just want to close out this episode, guys and gals and everyone in between. Thank you so much for being present with us in this conversation. If you feel uplifted, shifted, moved, inspired in any way, um, please, yeah, send us feedback. Um, We'd love to hear from you. And um, please follow along the alt normal, give us a rating, subscribe, review, whatever it is that moves you so we can amplify these stories far and wide. So with that, we will see you guys next week. The alt normal. This show is produced by Resonance, the creative practice of dig, seed, grow. If you enjoyed this conversation, please show us the love. You can subscribe, share, or leave a review. We'd be so grateful to help us amplify these stories far and wide. Thanks so much.